Welcome to the Inner Room, a study where we review highlights on daily scriptures and focus on the instruction and examples they provide to gain mastery of our emotions, to guide us in our spiritual journey, to learn to pray, worship, and listen to God's will for our lives. We continue today on First King with the story of Elijah, and we are on chapter 18. We see that there is a big contest that gets summoned at the top of Mount Carmel, which is like the Mount of Olives. And Elijah is there to perform a great miracle that God has asked him to perform. Ahab, who is the king, is following God still, but Jezebel, his wife, whom he has married, follows the pagan fertility god called Baal and rejects Yahweh. So there's going to be a major showdown in this mountain between the hundreds of prophets for Baal and Elijah. So Ahab is asked to gather all the prophets and Elijah sets the rules for the game. They're going to set up two altars and each of them is going to call down on their gods to bring down fire on these bulls that are going to be sacrificed. So the Baal ones go first and they cut themselves, they're bleeding and they're crying out as part of kind of the prof, prophet uh, rituals of the time. And they spend pretty much the whole day doing that. And all throughout the process, Elijah is taunting them and telling them, is he asleep? Did he go to the bathroom? And in this taunting, basically, there is nothing to show for at the end of the day. When it's Elijah's time, he sets up an altar with 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he makes a trench around it. So he spends a lot of time and a lot of physical effort doing this. And then he pours 12 jars of water over the altar so that it's all wet. And he trusts that the Lord is going to send fire and that no one can question whether he had poured something else on the wood that would make it ignite. So in contrast to the lack of success of the Baal prophets, Elijah, in a very simple prayer, asks for the Lord to rain down fire. And the Lord does. And it's a great miracle that turns everybody back to Yahweh. We see that this story is so unlike anything that we know or relate to because these kinds of sacrifices of the Old Testament are not typical for us. So what do we learn from a story like this? Well, first of all, we learn that following God's will can be complicated if the world around us is following a different path and that there can be times of testing when we might have to show our faith and our trust in God in a very public way and that we might be asked to do something that is definitely not going to be possible for us to accomplish. 
And this can be something that is happening in our life in a different way. It could be something that is happening uh, in our life when we have someone that is following the wrong path and we've done everything we know and we are not able to interfere anymore for a positive outcome. And we have to entrust the person to God to take over and do a miracle and heal them. It could be physical healing or mental healing, or it could be an addiction. So there can be these kinds of trials where we have to bring the situation that we have done everything we could do for that and put it in God's altar and say, Lord, we give it to you. It is your it is, it is your show now. You have to show up. This requires a kind of faith that moves mountains. And Jesus talks about this uh, later, hundreds of years later, when he comes and says, if you have faith, you will move mountains. There can be a message, perhaps, that you have to give at work. Maybe uh, something is going on at work that is not legal or something is going on that is being made a God. Um, it could be a deal that is so sweet that people are really breaking down small rules or finding loopholes to get something done that is going to be very good for, for the company, perhaps. And you have to be the lone person against a large team that is crying out and creating kind of an altar to, to this other way of thinking that is maybe illegal. And maybe you have to sound the alarm and maybe you're going to be publicly ridiculed or humiliated like Elijah in this mountain against hundreds of priests and prophets that are really showing down that their God is better. There are times when simply we have to do what Elijah does and we have to allow God to do it, God to ignite what needs to be ignited, God to bring the truth, God to come from heaven in a very palpable, material, physical way, and we might have to be the mouthpiece, the prophet at work in our family in the midst of a very difficult situation. When these kinds of things happen, we can fear for our safety. We can fear for losing our job. We can fear even for the safety of the person that we are praying for. I have had colleagues or people that I've known in my life that have had children or, you know, that were already adults, young adults, that were making really bad choices and putting themselves in danger by using drugs or uh, doing things that were not healthy for them. And when a parent sees something like this, it's extremely devastating because keeping children safe is one of the first things that parents wish to do. Psalm 16 is a psalm that we can pray in those circumstances where we're being asked to do something that feels impossible. And as in this podcast, we're learning how to pray the psalms are really good pathways to practice praying. Keep me safe, O oh God, you are my hope. And we can say, keep this person safe, God. 
be their hope. And it's a beautiful psalm because it says, keep me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Maybe you've had a situation at work also where you thought you were going to be laid off unfairly or maybe laid off fairly, just simply like in the pandemic, we are having a lot of people laid off. Say to the Lord, my Lord, are you? They multiply their sorrows who court other gods. O Lord, my allotted portion and my cup, you it is who hold fast my lot. I set the Lord ever before me. You will show me the path to life, fullness of joys in your presence, the delights at your right hand. For Elijah to be able to come up against a few hundred prophets that really were coming to show that they had a better path. There might have been a lot of fear in his heart, a lot of trembling, a lot of pondering, should I be doing this? What if I do this? What will come of me? Well, what will come to my family? Perhaps if you are in a situation where you feel that if you take certain action, there could be retaliation against you. So when we are asking God to show us the path of life and we're placing ourselves in God's presence and we're asking God to enlarge our faith and our trust so that we can take the steps that are needed, then we feel the delight of being in God's presence and knowing that we are God's. This is the ultimate purpose of our life, this relationship with the divine, with the Lord, that guides and aligns our path into paths of righteousness. Do you allow God to show up big in your life or do you prefer to have control over things? Do you like to self-determine things and self-create things? Or do you ponder from a platform of a divine perspective what God might be up to in your life? These are two radically different ways. And in our culture today, we play very much the book of self-determination. It's actually the American way. We want, we want to be self-determined people. When we see Elijah following God's will and putting himself in harm's way in doing so by antagonizing the king and antagonizing a whole world of priests and prophets, when we are in contrast with that obedience, in a place of control where we want to do things our way or the highway, where we want to be the ones who decide and choose, we put ourselves in a very different platform than some of these siblings of ours from the Bible stories. And they're siblings of old times for us because... We belong to the family of God. How do we learn about this listening to Jesus who tells us in Matthew 5, 17 through 19 that he has come to fulfill the law of the, the law and the prophets. He has come to fulfill the law of the Old Testament and the message of the prophets. He hasn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it we see that the Son of God himself is obedient. He is sent. He is not self-determined. He is sent, 
and he is following the will of the Father. Do you know what the will of the Father is for your life? Can you say that you are actually on mission? That that voice of God has clearly expressed to you what your mission in life is. Jesus continues, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest part of a letter will pass from the law until all things have taken place. How different is that from the way we tend to think about, think about things? How often do you think about fulfilling God's law? How often do we think about the importance of sharpening our skill set based on God's law? Many times we're looking for information, for books that are going to help us in one area of our life or other, but do we come back to see what God's commandments are, what God's law is? Because Jesus, the Son of God himself, did not come with sort of a self-determined package to see, let's see what I can accomplish here. He was sent, he was on mission from the Father to do the Father's will. So if Jesus continues, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. How important is it for us to live inside of the kingdom of heaven and to please God by our staying on mission? And that means to be people who love, who are kind and generous who live a life that shows the glory of God because we're using our skill sets and our talents to make the world a better place and to give glory to God who gave us everything? Or to what degree do we twist around these commandments to our purposes so that the kingdom of heaven doesn't really matter so much to us when we do that, but maybe we are praised by people around us Jesus continues, whoever obeys and teaches these commandments will be called greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So knowing these commandments is very important. I'm going to have a series of episodes just on the commandments because it's important to be able to meditate on what they contain and to see what is it that God intends when he's telling us, do these things, don't do these things. He's basically showing us that there are only two ways, the way of life and the way of death, and that for the way of life, we have to be careful to attune ourselves, our actions, our intentions, the longings of our hearts, and the way we set ourselves on mission so that we can live within the kingdom of heaven, that is, the kingdom of peace, of love, of light, of oneness, of patience, of understanding, and that that is the platform from which we operate daily in our lives. Whether we're at work, whether we're in our family, whether we're in our neighborhood, that these laws that are written in our hearts are the operative element that directs how we think about things, how we speak about things, how we do things. My sister and I were talking about today how the songs that are being played right now are terrible in their language and their content. They're using 
demeaning words for women. They are using sexually charged language that is demeaning. They are using racially charged words. And the melodies are so catchy that the kids, even young ones, are playing them. You go out on, um, you know, outside of restaurants that nowadays, you know, have tables on restaurants. And you hear the songs. You drive by pools, by, by little gatherings, and you hear these songs that have terrible words. So in a small way, we can say, well, that's not so bad. Anytime that we say that is not so bad, we have to be careful about, really, if that is full of impurity in language that is creating for our children, uh, words that are normalizing terrible states of mind, demeaning other human beings, other genders, other races is terrible. And even if the songs sound wonderful in their melody, as I've said before, it's not okay to promote them or play them. So these can be kind of drastic. When I tell my kids, turn that off. I don't want to hear it. I do it because, again, garbage in, garbage out. So Jesus is also pretty radical in his invitation to the disciples. You have a path. I've come to fulfill mine. Fulfill yours. These are the commandments. Do not break them because if you break them, it's not good. But if you teach those around you to break them, then it's even worse because you're planting seeds. And this is what happens in the story of Elijah that we started with. He's following God, but he's allowing Jezebel, his wife, to create this huge call to the fertility God. The kingdom is divided. And it can seem it's not so big. I'm still following God, but I'm allowing these things. The minute we start dividing like that and saying that's not so bad, we're walking on treacherous paths. Let's build the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of understanding through our actions. Let's be people on mission.